Taste it. Hey, what's on your plate? Is it good? Is it great? Come on, don't hesitate. Sit on down with the Ambuja food aid. When you're cooking at home, wanna set the right tone? Just pick up the phone. Sit down, down with the Ambuja food aid. Twin Cities. This is Wesley Wright, your Ambuji Foodie. Thank you and thanking you so much for tuning in this morning. Our Saturday is eh, it's kinda nice out there. It's kinda cool. Um but yeah. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me um, this morning. I am by myself in the booth this morning, and I'll explain why without going way into too much detail. Um, But first and foremost, let me give you the telephone number so that we can have a chat. The telephone number here at the radio station to reach me is 651-234-79. Once again, 651-2003. Uh, 651-200-3479 I'm encouraging you if you would follow me on Facebook Um, you'll see uh, maybe what the upcoming topic for shows are Um, maybe there's an article that I shared and you want to voice your opinion but uh, please feel free to do so by going to uh, on Facebook the Unbuji Foodie or you can go to uh, you know follow me on Instagram or uh, Twitter Instagram is the underscore unbougie foodie. Twitter is at unbougie foodie. And then, um, you know, again, I'd like to always invite you to uh, visit my website as well, which is www.theunbougiefoodie.com. You'll see, well, here, past episodes of shows, as well as uh, articles that I've written for community newspaper. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, uh, it is you know a wonderful Saturday morning. There are a few things that I wanted to talk about, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But last week, um, so some a couple of weeks ago, I'll say it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I visited a friend, my nephew, and I visited a friend, and um, come to find out that we were exposed to COVID nineteen, or an individual that we visited was. exposed exposed and we of course therefore were exposed so it was just best that I stayed away from the radio station um, without uh, um, I don't know I, I wasn't trying to uh, we weren't trying we didn't know if we were going to be asymptomatic or anything so unfortunately we weren't able to find out anything about testing but um, interestingly enough um you know, during my, my day job, Monday through, oh, Sunday through Thursday, 
um, I was concerned. And so I shared it with uh, my manager, supervisor, whatever. He gave me some information that I thought was very helpful. And I wanted to pass on to you all as well. Which, um, clearly, it is, it's for us to, you know, be aware of what we're doing um, to protect ourselves. So it was an infographic. Infographics are just, it's just, it's almost like a, a slide. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, PowerPoint slide, almost, but not really. Um, a little bit more, I don't know, um, more graphics to it rather than just, you know, here's a block of information. You don't know. No, these are actual, you might see an image of a person or what it looks like to be a person. Anyway, he sent this over uh, and it showed the progression of when you really should get tested. And again, I'm just passing it on um, as information, um, you know, because it is something that is within the community. And I mean, it it involves food to a certain extent, so I'm sharing it. Um, so he gave the example of someone that had gone out and they were exposed to someone and they were like, oh, no, I'm fine. I, you know, I went ahead and uh, they went ahead, got tested the next day and it said they were negative. And so they were like, OK, I don't have any symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And again, that was day one. So maybe like on day two, they went ahead and got tested the next day. Well, another five or six days came. And, you know, again, them thinking that, oh, um, they had some type of sniffles and whatever during that time period. But on day eight and nine is when they were they did become asymptomatic or they were contagious, if you would. So they were, again, not thinking that, oh, we're, I'm negative. I haven't, you know, it's been good or whatever. So after day eight or nine, when they were contagious, day 10 comes along and then full blown, they are suffering from COVID-19. Now, during that time period of when they initially tested all the way up until the time when they you know, they became symptomatic and showed all the signs of having COVID-19. They were around people and visiting friends and just thinking, oh, it's just the flu or something of that nature. Um, no. So likewise, my nephew and I wanted to um, just kind of quarantine and we got our test. Um, it was it was difficult <laughs> because I'm a person that I don't want to pass off any type even if it's a cold i don't want to pass it off to anybody but in this instance where it's COVID 19 i we went ahead and we we were going to quarantine anyway but at first it was i mean, we need to find testing I, I don't know where testing is or they were all full um they didn't have any appointments available and the walk-in places you know just weren't going to do because you're going to stand in line for quite some time and i still had to work um, needless to say, I'm glad that we waited the, we had to wait maybe like an entire week before we were able to get tested during that time period. Again, we were at home quarantining. And again, during that time period is when last week, um, I wasn't able to do the show, but, um, yeah, we got tested. Uh, I came back negative. 
he not so much. He came back positive. So, um, he's not with me uh, today. Um, I didn't, you know, we're practicing, you know, the guidelines of masking at home and kind of sequestering himself in a particular area of the the apartment. Yeah, anyway, we're trying our best because it's a one-bedroom apartment and, you know, he sleeps on in the living room. And anyway, it's too much. But I'm just saying all of that, one, to explain why I wasn't here last week, but then two, the importance of knowing when to get tested. So that whole infographic that I was referring to about you don't want to go off and get tested the very next day. Wait a few days because from what I understand and reading, doing a bit more research, it is really, it takes about seven to 10 days for at, for COVID-19 or the symptoms to actually be apparent um, that or noticeable. So it was great that, you know, on day eight, when we went and got t- tested, um, we had got the results on day nine. And so, of course, they called us back and, you know, encouraged us to do some things. Um, I'm just in- encouraging you to do the same thing and definitely get tested. Um, make sure you're wearing your mask, washing your hands, uh, doing social distancing, social distancing and staying six feet apart. Yeah, it's hard right now in the you know, because you know I'm negative. Well, we'll we'll have to see because I'm about to get tested again. Anyway, I say all of that again because it it really is time for us to be on on top of these things about being tested. Uh, when it comes down to food, um, you know we know that it's these are from what Thanksgiving to. You know, all the way to New Year's is a time where people want to get together and be with their families and have good food and uh, yeah we, we we're in that stage of we really have to kind of buckle down and realize that you know those opportunities are not going to come right now or we can't take advantage of those those enjoyable times in life. We have to take care of ourselves and take care of others. So make things at home. Um, it was very interesting how uh, Thanksgiving, even though that's the hard part. Um, I was supposed to be sharing in Thanksgiving to a certain extent with friends, but we came up with an idea of how we were going to still all eat together, even though we were going to be in our separate homes. Um, and then of course we find out we, you know, we were exposed, so we couldn't really even go to pick up the food or offer any type of food to, you know, exchange with them or anything, but it was helpful. It was, they were generous and they brought, they left food for us. So that was that was really awesome. And um, yeah, we'll get through this. It's easy. It's easier said than done. Yes, I understand. But, you know, we have to take some personal accountability, even if even if, you know, leaders, you know, statewide, countrywide, whatever, 
are not really taking it seriously. Um, You can look and see yourself as an intelligent human being what is happening and not rely on somebody else uh, to kind of, I don't know, steer you in the wrong direction. (laughs) If masks are working, uh, this is not believe me we're we're not going a public route or anything like that but at this point it is important for us to wear a mask you know wash our hands disinfecting um sanitizing all of that is very important just think about even workers in food uh even though many of restaurants right now are not really having dine-in service or they have had to do the takeout route um, they are also making sure that they're wearing a mask and sanitizing, disinfecting and all of those important things it affects us all in every way, shape or form I mean school food industry or culinary industry um, you know what other office uh, really in anything that we do right now it we are affected by this and you know it's just I, it was just important for me to mention that or to talk about at, at the forefront um, of the show. But n- not to bring anybody down, but just know that it's really important that we follow these guidelines. And, you know, you'll have your own. I'm quite sure that there'll be many that will have their own opinion about masks and doing all these things. And it, trust me, I feel for restaurants and chefs and business owners and so forth that are going through it um, you know they have a livelihood that basically is being is jeopardized right now and you know they're trying to find ways in which to recover or to put a different spin on it you know there are ways that we can help of course you know in the past i think it was early part of spring or something when there was uh or was it june anyway when there were restaurants that were closing many were encouraging you to hey buy a gift card or you know for a meal in the future um you know make a i don't know make a donation or buy a meal for someone else or or something of that nature you know there's so many things that we could do, but again, we have to take personal responsibility and accountability for our health and protecting ourselves, protecting others. Um, uh, again, this is not a political statement or anything. It's more of an encouragement only because I know um, I'm a worrier, uh, worry. Uh, I think about too many things uh, and definitely having to worry about you know for instance I have elderly parents Um, one has a compromised immune deficiency system Um, my father specifically has COPD he doesn't live here in the Twin Cities he lives in California but still you know even so far away you know, you worry about your family members and, and so forth. So I, again, I say all of that, you know, for the purpose of making sure that we are doing all that we can so that we are 
protecting ourselves and protecting others. Aside from that, there is the need for us to actually take care of ourselves and more so take care of others, especially if you have maybe a neighbor that has families uh, or a family with children and so forth. Um, Our biggest thing that we're facing right now is food insecurity. And I believe if I'm not saying, if I recall correctly, um, that the number had changed from how many people were suffering from food insecurity or they were going to bed hungry. I believe it was like one in six or one in four families, um, one out of four families. I think it's one out of six families, but still that's a, that's a number that's way too high. And that's, you're thinking, gosh, what is it that we should be doing? What can we do? What things are available? What are out there? You know, in the past couple of weeks, you know that we've spoken about um, food pantries, food shelves, um, organizations that are you know looking to help out in the way of ensuring that food insecurity is not something that is going to remain an issue for families or for communities. And the reason why I say that is because there's an organization called Provision Community Restaurant. And I've talked about them um, before in the past. Uh, They are located at 2940 Harriet Avenue in Uptown. Um, But they are actually having, um, it's called Cooks of Hope. It's an event that they're doing. Um, It is today, Saturday, from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., uh, they call once again call it Cooks of Hope. Good food, good service, good works. Uh, if you remember about provision, um, let me see. I mentioned about provision, gosh, some time ago, but we also had Chef uh, Man- Manuel um, Perez um, Winston on, and he is a chef that uh, works very close um, with and provision a community restaurant. Um, he has his own uh, brand of sheer taste that uh, you know encourages you to to go and visit in at Provision Community Restaurant. But I also wanted to talk about another, um, which is Chef uh, PJ Paul Johnson. Um, let's see, it is meet a, meet us at the window, but that's what he's referring to uh, for Cooks of Hope. Now there is, where is it? Eh, once again, that address is 2940 Harriet Avenue in Uptown. They're going to be having this event from December or today, December 5th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And you'll see on their on if you go to the uh, Provision Community uh, Restaurant web uh, Facebook page, you'll notice uh, the different types of items that are going to be available. So. Uh, going to Provision Community Restaurant, you'll notice that for their events, uh, it has a list of you know different who they're collaborating with, basically. So, Sheer Taste is Sunday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and you could go by going to provisioncommunity.org. You'll be able to see a menu there as well as to order uh, any type of uh, food. Oops. 
Uh, Cooks of Hope is on the second and fourth weekends each month. Um, Fridays it's uh, 4 p.m. to 11, uh, 7 p.m. But uh, Saturday, so this is the I believe this is the second week for Cooks of Hope. Um, remember, they're there on the second and fourth weekends each month. This it would be the uh, second Saturday. So it would be from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, and there are menu items that you can choose from. A few of the items that they have on there. Uh, let's see. There is a pity chink, uh, chicken bowl. Um, you could have that with chicken or shrimp. Um, and that has curry rice with African refried beans and uh, leafy mixed greens. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but pili pili um, sauce. <laughs> so if anyone's familiar with that, please let me know or uh, correct me on that. But there's also a curry um, perlu uh, bowl with shrimp. And uh, you can get that in uh, various sizes, I believe medium or large. But that one has curry rice uh, cooked with smoked chicken, uh, seared shrimp, and a creamy curry sauce, uh, and along with cilantro. But yeah, um, I'm looking at the events, uh, Cooks of Hope specifically. They have a Facebook page as well. So uh, by going to C O H Cooks of Hope one, uh, you'll be able to find them on Facebook. And again, you'll see the information. Um, you'll see the information about uh, the uh, of the menu um, where it's located. Uh, again, uh, 2940 Harriet Avenue. But I, I say all of that because, you know, provision period um, in general, um, provision. Oops. I want to give you some more information about provision. Um, they are an organization that is looking to uh, bring or foster creative community based solutions in overcoming food insecurity. Um, they want to isolate those hardships um, and so that we don't have them um, in the community. So if you remember in the past, I believe that I mentioned about um, provision, it's they're very open minded and it is a, a come as you are, pay what you can. Um, but they also do things on donations as well. They're an organization that is looking to uh, take proactive steps in uh, making sure that individuals within the community are getting fed. They don't want to have at least making whatever efforts um, possible um, to uh, have that number uh, decrease or so that you know individuals or families are not suffering without uh, any type of food or going to bed hungry. It's... It's, it's sometimes it's hard. It pulls on your heartstrings because of that, because you're thinking, well, I, I even with all of the information that we've seen um, on the news about these food, um, uh, food shelves and food drives and food donation organizations where literally lines of cars, you know, for 
blocks in some instances uh, for miles um, but individuals that are have never had to rely on uh, these type of organizations to feed their families they are suffering through this and you know if there are organizations like um, provision that collaborates with um, specific chefs uh, in this case you know, cooks of hope um, you know sheer sheer taste um, they have the ability to make sure that people have food uh, yeah I mean how can you not want that for the community or for maybe your neighbor and and really it's not even about I don't think they're 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 not really looking for any type of accolades or or anything in regards to that I mean of course they they do get those but more importantly they're concerned about the community and making sure that people have food in their homes you know they or they have a meal they have some place to go now right now you know, in the past, uh, they you were inviting people in to come and, you know, they have this building or structure and you would come in. But of course, we're not really able to do that right now. So um, they've switched up what is happening or what uh, they're able to do. But one of the things that they mentioned that they are going to be offering free um, takeout meals, um, single serving, you know, the packaged meals that goes on Monday through Friday, 12 to 1. I encourage you to bring your own bag. But, you know, again, they're all about helping those ensure that they have a have food in their homes. And, and that's that's all that matters. That's all that matters. There are a number of different organizations that they partner with. Um, gosh, just went to name a few of them. What I think I saw. Zenbox. Um, Chef Tim McGee. So these are just ones that happened in the past. But again, um, it's important to know that there are places where you are able to actually get uh, food for your family. And as I mentioned, it's a give as you can community cafe serving healthy family style meals. Um, they repurpose, restore and revive food as well as the community. So definitely how you're able to get involved you may offer your time may offer donations if you have any type of um, means of maybe knowing of an organization that can uh, share some food or some vegetables and so forth so that they can put that to good use to feed the community those are always where we're able to um, help in that manner so yeah um, remember there are resources out there and we want to make sure that we're telling the community uh, about it. And I know that we are way out. We're over here on the east side, but we have things on the east side as well. Um, let's see.
So the Salvation Army, Eastside Corp, um, 1019 Payne Avenue, um, I believe, um, I believe he is still there. But the Salvation um, Eastside Worship and um, Service Center, they actually provide assistance to, they have programs that are available uh, that you can provide, that they can provide that they can provide uh, information on foods that, you know, how you're able to get food um, to your family or get your family fed. Um, one of the ways that they stated that they help in the community is curing hunger. When you go on their Facebook page, or excuse me, on their uh, actual page, uh, Central USA Salvation Army, uh, Northern uh, East St. Paul, um, ways in which you're able to help or they're able to help in the community. There are programs and services, empowering youth, partnering with adults. Um, two of the main things, curing hunger and uh, meeting um, uh, the greatest need. Uh, looking at meeting the greatest need, you know that it's food. Especially right now. Um there are testimonies on there that are very encouraging that you can find out more. But again, there are places that are within the community that we could actually lean on as well. So again, visit uh, their their page, or I say their page, uh, the SalvationArmy.org, uh, Northern East St. Paul, and yeah, you'll be able to find you know uh, the organization what they are doing to help the community uh if that's not anywhere near you in on the east side you again can also search out other locations that and find out what foods or what uh steps are being taken to help individuals within the community when it comes down to food so just go, um, when you go to their their website click on locations and it'll tell you a whole lot more uh, information on that there have y'all ever wondered when you go to uh, a Chinese you know for Chinese food let's just say you get I don't know it's either chicken or beef and you're wondering gosh how you know this meat is really tender how is it that is it so tender uh yeah there is I'm skipping around a little bit but there is a it's a style of or do we want to call it a style? Maybe. Anyway, it's a type of it's a way of cooking your your food, uh, and it really is more quite popular uh, with Asian dishes um, or Chinese. But it's called velveting. The Chinese cooking um, technique that you really need to know about, and this was an article that really went in depth on when you're getting like your meat and I'll just say orange chicken um, uh, I did broccoli beef uh, yeah broccoli beef and I didn't realize that that's exactly what I was doing and then I read the article and I was like wow that's okay now I understand and you're probably thinking okay well what is what is velveting 
Again, as I mentioned, it's commonly used in Chinese cooking, but it's a technique that tenderizes meat either by coating it in starch and egg white or liquid uh, or marinade in bicarbonate soda. I, I know that's a lot, but yeah, a lot of times that's done with beef or with chicken. I mean, it could be done with fish and, and other uh, seafood items as well, but you really see it more in uh, chicken and beef. But what did they mention? What it does, it, it not only seals in moisture when the meat is actually exposed to high temperatures, but it gives it a whole lot more flavor. And well, this is this is more aesthetic, <laughs> but when you're looking at it and you know when it's on the plate and everything, it it's more visually appealing. <laughs> I know that just seems like, okay, really, we're talking about food and, and how it looks on the plate. Well, you know, sometimes things really do need to actually look good, you know, uh, for folks to really want to have it. But yeah, that's basically what it is. I mean, a good example of that, um, as I mentioned, you know, before about it being coated in starch and egg white. There was this whole process that I did for uh, uh, beef broccoli, and I didn't understand about the whole cornstarch and uh, water, and you know, I, I and I was very confused by how much the water to cornstarch ratio was. But you know, when I started to throw in the meat, uh, specifically, I was doing um, like. Uh, stewing beef and I cut them in like one inch quarters uh, one inch squares I should say um, yeah it I, it coated just about every piece of meat and then when I started to cook it it was this rich it was a brown color now of course there were other items that you needed to put in there so that it could get that, that deeper um, burgundy or um, brown color um you know, because that's where the soy sauce came in, uh, which reminds me, I'm probably going to have to go get some because I feel the need to make that again. But now that I know more um, and what I'm doing, but definitely it gives that it gives it a nice brown color. And I didn't realize what again, what I was doing. And I've talked about this in the past. That's the interesting thing, uh, even though being not familiar with or trying my hand for the first time at doing um, uh, uh, broccoli beef. I talked about velveting before, uh, but I guess in doing the actual dish, uh, I totally forgot. So it didn't seem very strange. I was just like put off by the ratio of the water and to the cornstarch. Cause I know that when you're adding water to cornstarch, it's going to thicken. Um, or the reverse when you add cornstarch to water it thickens um and so uh, it was just why is this it doesn't look like it is it is enough but you don't need to have a lot that's the thing anyway uh what it says um further on that you could velvet a, a, whether it be a chicken a fish or whatever before coating it uh in a batter before you deep fry it or before boiling um water blanching a, a dish uh, before the velveting process um, for instance for beef um, 
you know, it helps with really tenderizing um, that meat. Um, and there are so many different things, again, as I mentioned before, that you're able to do velveting with, with shrimp, uh, with chicken, um, other seafood, just so many things. And clearly there's, there's an option B that they, when we're talking about this velveting process, I think it's a little bit more extra. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, we won't talk about it too much, but it just, they're saying this process this option B process. It it weakens the, uh, the, the, the structure of the, whatever meat that it is. And again, this is option B it's still velveting, but there's other processes that go along with it, but it just breaks down those, the structure of the, of the meat or the protein that you're cooking, um, even, even further, um, but here they they're describing it as leaving you with a fluffy silky mouthfeel. Yeah, that's too much. I'm just saying. Yeah, we won't we won't go further into that. But clearly, there are it's it's really found in in Chinese in Chinese cuisine. Uh, I've not really seen this technique in other areas. But still, here's, you know, it gives you a better understanding of when you get your food at a Chinese restaurant. Why is this meat so, how long have they been cooking this meat? They've been cooking it forever, it seems, because it's nice and tender. No, it's their process of velveting. So they probably started, possibly the marinade was probably started hours ago rather than, oh, hours in the sense of like a couple of hours ago so they because clearly you are not going to sit there and each and every time uh you know go through this whole entire process you're going to do a larger batch you know when you're at a restaurant this is in any restaurant but i'm just saying in chinese cuisine you're going to have a, a a good enough amount um that has already either been marinating or for at least a couple of hours you know prior to maybe your restaurant opening or whatnot but yeah Velveting, remember that while you're sitting at your table waiting for your Chinese cuisine to come and be brought to your table. Yeah, remember, hmm, this meat is this meat is really good. Uh, I wonder if they're back there velveting <laughs> their, the chicken or the beef or whatnot. So yeah, it's another, uh, another technique, if you would. That uh, can be used. You know, I you'll see on my Facebook page, I posted about oh uh, about farming, and when I say farming, what is it? The topic was we can't talk about farming without talking about race. And I commented um, clearly that I wanted to I wanted to be a, a farmer <laughs> rather than being a farm worker. 
And the reason why I say that is because there are there this wonderful article that was written by uh, this young lady. Um, I forget her name at the moment, but uh, uh, it's talking specifically on that subject of we can't talk about farming without talking about race. And her name is Danielle Dorsey. Um, and this was earlier in the year, but still, I just thought it was very interesting because here she talked about um, uh, an individual uh, woman, uh, Leah Penniman, who's helping um, black and indigenous people of color to become more so- food sovereign on. She has 80 acres of, of land and she's using that to help people understand about the difference of being a farmer versus a farm hand or a farm worker. She has a specific organization called Soul Fire Farm, where you know she's a she's a food justice activist, and she's making it easier for communities to you know understand about food and how to reclaim their rights, you know, and their relationship with with land. Period. But she goes on to say specifically, I believe, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Danielle asked her uh, about her, her organization and how she has a book called Farming While Black. And it tells the story of uh, her grandmother's, I'm just going to put it the way that she put it, her grandmother's grandmother's grandmother uh, braided seeds in her hair before being kidnapped from West Africa and taken to a so-called new world Um how and she asked the question how does that legacy of food sovereignty inspire her work well her reply was that part of uh, part of her reply I'll say uh, was farmers as in land owning farm managers are the whitest profession in United States and being a farm worker is the brownest profession in the United States now think about that for a moment though you think of the individuals that are actually out in that are with the workers in the field and and mind you mind you mind you mind you there are farmers that are really out there but you, you know that's because they do choose to be and they find it definitely for fulfilling but clearly you know there is you could see how brown folks have a, a difficult time appreciating and understanding the power that they have when it comes down to food sovereignty and having land and being able to cultivate that with a farm or for food with food um she went on to say that we're in the most radically uh, skewed sector in terms of power and I think we all have a responsibility to engage in solutions. Some of us, you know, it's not a, just definitely not a, a pity party or anything like that. But I think when we don't have the opportunity to see these, you know, food spaces where you can see yourself in uh, on a farm or working a farm I mean when you live urbanly it's very it's hard it's very hard 
because we're good. I mean, what do you have available to you? You know, the neighborhood stores. <clears throat> the neighborhood stores. Or you have programs that, you know, that you'd have to, when I say have to use, but there are programs like SNAP and others that, okay, I've got to, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to get any type of food or sustainable food for my family is if I go on these type of programs. The way that she was describing here in this article is almost you're still in under the thumb of that white farmer. And clearly, you know, my, my you know, my show is never really political. We're talking about food. And I mentioned that because, you know, we're in a time where we really need to do self-sufficiency and sustainability within our own communities, uh, within our own household. The article uh, continues to mention that, you know, we have a food apartheid situation where brown and black folks are, they're more likely to be hungry in this country and much more likely to have diet-related issues. And it's not because they don't know how to cook or to eat right, but, you know, the housing discrimination, poverty levels, and I, this word, I've of course, we've heard it or seen it, the ghettoization along with the systemic facts that we have to deal with or programs that we have to be on before we can actually consider ourselves getting uh, good food or nutritious food. These are things that uh, black and brown people or people of color have to face daily. But again, that's where they're being the, the farm worker or the person that... Has to work extra to get the food that they need for their families. It, it's so in depth. It was just again, uh, the article is called "We Can't Talk About Farming Without Talking About Race." But she describes what her program actually does. She mentioned that there are thousands of people that come through the program. It's called again Soul Fire Farm. They feel like there's so much trauma there because of what they've learned in the in the past and what their history is. It's very difficult for them to approach coming to a farm because they realize that to them it means slavery, sharecropping, lynching. And that's not taking away anything from how that individual is feeling. But... She wanted to provide a space or an opportunity for that individual to learn and to understand that, you know, the way that healing and reconnecting with uh, with land or with um, agriculture foods and so forth, it doesn't it doesn't just happen by either like coming and seeing it. You have to really be involved and, uh, you know. I, I'd love to learn a whole lot more about it, but really show um, what type of work that you're actually doing. You know, when you see yourself cultivating a particular spot or plot and all of a sudden you're like, wow, OK, this is 
I'm this food that I am growing is not going to be grow is not basically being grown or uh, planted or produced to give to somebody else. This is to me to feed my family. Self sustainability. Some of the feedback that she's been getting, um, adults, adults, not young people, but it's a wide variety of individuals that she deals with. But she said adults have said, I'm finally sober after years of addiction. Uh, this is just an example. Um, I was able to leave toxic marriage or a dead end job, but it's all because they've come to a place of where they could do healing and reconnecting to something that brings them dignity and a sense of belonging and you're around people that look like you. So, yeah. It's a great... I wish I we had an opportunity to have something like that here within the Twin Cities. But, man, uh, I'm telling you, uh, she, this is in New York. And she's certainly providing a space for folks to um, learn more about, you know, I guess you want to say taking back their power when it comes down to food and land. The article uh, makes a recommendation for anyone that might be interested in supporting food justice. Um, You can get started by going to a link. Um, It's referred to as uh, well, the link, not it's just the title, but uh, reparations map by Northeast Farmers of Color uh, Land Trust. Uh, and I remember going there, it will give you an opportunity to find local projects that are happening nearby you, how you're able to support them, whether um, that's by fundraising or offering any type of technical assistance or even just volunteering your support itself. Uh, it's a it's a great way to get started and to, to get involved. Um, when I was looking at that myself, I was like, is there any nearby us? Um and I could not remember. Um, I think there was, but I can't remember where specifically where it is. Burp, burp, burp. Anyway, um, I, I've shared the I shared the article already on my Facebook page, so please go on there. You'll see that I've posted it, and I've indicated that um, I prefer to be the mon- <laughs> the, the the farmer. Uh, and I, once again, I referenced um, uh, her statement where she said that we have a food apartheid situation where black and brown folks are more, much more likely to be hungry in this country and much more likely to have diet related illnesses. She has a way in which to help with that or at least help you to better understand how you're able to change your thought process behind that. So I'm so sorry. You know what? I just realized that I have not really... Not that I've heard the phone ring and I've ignored it, but I've been chatting a lot and I didn't forget about you all. But again, if you had a a point that you wanted to make or thought was very interesting, please feel free to give me a call here at the radio station 651-234-79. That again is 651-200-3479. I hope these articles and what we've talked about have been helpful. Um, remember uh, that uh, Provision uh, Community Kitchen, they are uh, having uh, tomorrow, they are actually 
to today, today, today. Today, uh, Cooks of Hope are doing an event uh, that you can partake in. That you're able to partake in. Um, and I just want to make sure I give you the address once again. I'm going to give you the address. It is on Harriet. Harriet. I went past it. Meet us at the window. Meet us at the window. You know, Cooks of Hope. Um, it's Saturday from 11 a.m. to, uh, which is in the next few minutes, um, to 7 p.m. They are located at 2940 Harriet Avenue in Uptown. Um, again, that is today, Saturday, uh, Saturday, December 5th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, by going to their Facebook page, you'll be able to see the different items that are going to be available. Um, make sure you check them out and you support them. Um, shout out to uh, both Chef um, J. Paul Johnson as well as uh, Chef Manuel. Um, thank you all for uh, you know always giving me some information or posting something that I could actually share to the community. Uh, to get people to not only support you, but also um, get support they need so that you could get so that they could get food, um, you know, for their families. Oops. Food for your family. And make sure you get fed. That's the important thing. Okay, sorry about that. Wow, we are nearing the end of the show, but I am again. I just want to uh, encourage you. If you have any comments, questions, uh, please feel free to visit my Facebook page. Um, it is the Ambuji Foodie uh, on Instagram. I am uh, the underscore Ambuji Foodie, and then Twitter is at Ambuji Foodie. Um. Yeah, we. Uh, my also my. Um, uh, excuse me. My uh, my website, which is www.theunbougiefoodie.com. Um, I'm doing my utmost to get these updated and so forth, and making sure that the past episodes are on there. So we're working on that. But um, just know that the shows are recorded uh, every time that we are here in the booth. Uh, and we are slowly getting caught up to, um, you know, making sure that they're readily available on the website and for you to go back and, and listen to a lot of exciting, um, I don't know, conversations coming up and just other, you know, exciting things to talk about when it comes down to food. I do have to give a shout out to all of these restaurants that are really going through it right now that are struggling um just i i wish i knew ways in which to help you know i wish there were some way that you can you know businesses can really get the restaurants specifically culinary can get the help that they need so that they don't have to shutter their doors even if it is for just a little while or whatever you know it's still the fact that they have to shutter it or they have to pause on on doing what they love so much there are organizations that are still on uh, making things available or opportunities available 
Um, I believe. Oh, let me see. Um, I believe Chef Brian Ingram. They are doing kind of like a community. Uh, I want to say a community um, farmers market, if you would. So there are opportunities that you, you people in the community, especially if they don't have any type of food, what he's making available is, you know, having a food shelf, basically, you know, with, um, and I know that he's helped in the community so much before. So it's a huge shout out to him, uh, for what he does to the community, but not only, uh, is it happening at hope, but it is also happening at, uh, the gnome pub. And the gnome is located at 498 Selby Avenue in St. Paul. So if you have during this time period, if you need some food, I would encourage you to go to Hope Breakfast Bar, um, uh, their Facebook page, or else go to the gnome pub and find out the information on there um, as well. Uh, When these different food uh, donations or uh, food shelf would be available they've donated over a hundred thousand um i I believe that's a hundred thousand pounds of food yep a hundred thousand pounds of food to people that are in need Uh, and they're accepting a number of different types of donations whether it be you know uh, food gift cards gas cards etc and so yeah help out how you can um as you know, that that silence there is near means that we're nearing the end of our show. So thank you all so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you sitting down with me as always. Um, it is it has been a pleasure. And as I end every show, I want to encourage you never to let anyone tell you what type of food you need to be, because during this time period, we all need help. And it is food that brings us together now. Taste it. Who's your food at?